church. Morning. We're we're alive and active this morning. I can I can tell the difference between the two services. Uh, so so glad that you are here this uh, Sunday after Thanksgiving. And like Matt uh, mentioned earlier during worship, that this is the first Sunday of Advent where we are going to celebrate the the hope that we have in Christ. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. But before we get to that, I wanted to thank. Matt and Courtney and Eloy for leading us in worship this morning, and um, from Mel and Corey Wilford, who uh, designed and organized the team to decorate the stage and, and give us a festive feel. So we want to thank you for them for using the gifts that God has given them to, to bless the church. Uh, we will be in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. So you can go ahead and turn there now. And I have one more announcement. Uh, Two Sundays from today, on Sunday, December 11th, we will have our annual business meeting, December business meeting. It'll be in the Activity Center at 11.45 a.m. We have agendas available in the the Worship Center lobby if you'd like to pick one of those up on your way out uh, so you'll have an idea of what we're going to be discussing. And if you haven't been to a business meeting, I encourage you to to come. Um, It's an opportunity for you to get a kind of behind-the-scenes look a little bit at the church um, I know when you hear business meeting in church, it doesn't seem like it works together, but it's really an opportunity for us to, as a family, talk about what God is doing, praise Him, and kind of see plans for the future and be a part of that. Um, so I encourage you to attend on that Sunday. So I'm going to read Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, and then I'll pray, and then we will we'll dig in and, and learn more about this hope we have in Christ. So Romans 5, 1 through 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity to, as a church, open up your word that is alive and active. To open up your word and to hear of the hope that we have through Christ. We thank you so much that you are a faithful God who loves to to demonstrate your faithfulness to us, to remind us of the hope that we have in you. And God, it is because of your faithfulness that we can hope. So Lord, I pray that you would open up our minds and hearts to your word, that you would illuminate it in our hearts, that you would have your way in our hearts, that you would convict and exhort and rebuke or encourage whatever, God, we need to be reminded of the hope that we have in you. Please do so. Lord, I pray you get me out of the way and let it be your words and not mine, that I would be a vessel to share your word, God. And so we praise you and we thank you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. And so during worship, Matt, Matt mentioned that this season of Advent tends to be a season that for many of us, is, is hard. And I was, was preparing that this this week, and I was thinking about family members that are, you know, having a heartache over a loss of a loved one that 
just recently passed or maybe it passed years ago. And, you know, it's something about this season that, that brings us back up. And maybe it was a divorce or maybe it's a, a rec- relationship with a child or a family member that just hasn't been reconciled. Or maybe we're working through trying to help a family member who's sick or dying and, and just struggling with the energy and the, the ability to carry on. Somehow, during this season, ironically, those come up and we, and we struggle. And so when I think about hope and when we, what we're going to see in this, this passage is that what we need in the midst of that suffering is exactly what God provides through Jesus, and that is hope. Hope is intended to be for times of hopelessness. And so as we celebrate Advent, and Advent simply just means coming, so we are celebrating the coming of Jesus who came as a baby or in 2,000 years ago, he came with a purpose to go to the cross, to die for our sins, to pay the penalty for our sins, rising again, defeating sin and death, ascending to the Father, and then the promise of his second coming that he will come back. He will come back and make all things right. And we will someday be in his presence for all eternity where there will be no pain, no tears, no sorrow, no shame, no more heartache of death. In Jesus, there's victory over death. And so when we think about the hope that we have in Christ, it's exactly what we need when we are suffering. And so it is in hopelessness that we need hope. It's not in a perfect world. And someone might ask the question, well, yeah, it's easy for you, Chris. Things are great. It's easy to hope. But that's not what hope is for. Hope is for hopelessness. It's hope is for when we're suffering. Hope is designed to hear this word, sustain us in Jesus Christ in the midst of a hopeless world. It's there to sustain us. So the question I hopefully will answer today is, how can hope sustain believers in Jesus Christ in a hopeless world? And I think we'll find in Romans chapter 5 that hope sustains believers in Jesus Christ when they boast about the future. We are sustained when we embrace suffering and when we fixate on the love of the faithful God, the God who is faithful. So Romans chapter 5 verses 1 and 2, we find that hope sustains believers when they boast about the future. So I'm going to reread that for us. It says, therefore, and you always ask the question, what is the therefore, therefore? We probably all heard that phrase. But what Paul is summarizing is the previous chapters, particularly chapter four, when he's talking about Abraham. In Abraham, if we go back to Genesis chapter 12, he's an old man, uh, well beyond, uh, his wife is also old, well beyond child rearing years. And God comes to him and says, you will have a son. And not only that, you will be the father of many nations. And you and this, you will be a blessing to many nations. And so like any of us who are probably in that same position, we would scratch our head and say, what? How's this going to happen? Romans 4.18, it says that Abraham hoped against hope. He hoped when there was no hope. It was hopeless. He hoped because it was a faithful God who made the promise to him, and he believed that this faithful God would do what he said he would do. And so this therefore is summarizing that truth. And it's because of this faithful God who sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross and pay the penalty for our sins, 
that we have been justified by faith in Christ, just like Abraham was justified or made righteous because of his faith in the faithful God and believing the promise that God had made for him, we are also justified by faith in Jesus. Because of this, we have peace with God. We were once enemies of God. Now we have peace. We've been reconciled with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's through Jesus that we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. So I think about a stoic soldier standing there firm, standing firm in the grace that God has given him. We are like that. We stand firm in this grace that we have through Christ. And here's the key word that we're going to hammer on today is, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And this word rejoice would also probably be better translated as boasting. It's this heart of boasting about the truth of the fact that we have peace with God and that we have a future hope. And so it's knowing this hope, knowing that it's sure and guaranteed, we boast in our hearts knowing because nothing can take that away. Therefore, we can boast, we can glory in, we have overflowing joy in the future hope that we have because of Christ. So I think about this boasting of this hope of the future, and I think about Abraham, and uh, he's just one of numerous examples of God demonstrating his faithfulness to his people. But as I think and reflect about just all the times that God's demonstrating his faithfulness, I'm convinced that God delights in demonstrating his faithfulness to his people. He delights. He loves to demonstrate who he is and his character because he is a faithful God and he cannot deny himself. And so it is this reason that we have hope. And so because of God's faithfulness, we have a sure hope. We have a guaranteed hope. Nothing can take that away. So this hope that we have Therefore, is eager. It's an eager, confident expectation of something that is guaranteed to happen in the future. And we hope in the glory of God. It's being in God's presence. As Matt said, being in his majestic presence where there's no pain and sorrow and there's complete joy. It's this glory of being in his presence that we hope for. And so when I think about this idea of boasting, I think about baseball and Bear with me as I explain this example, okay? So I am a uh, Chicago Cubs fan, and you guys can boo me if you want. That's okay. Um, I know I'm in the midst of lots of Dodgers fans, um, so when I share this example, you'll, you'll understand where I'm coming from. But uh, this particular manager of this baseball team in March of this year declared that his team would win the World Series. And so, and there's a lot of reason for him to have confidence in that. This team has, in their division, has won the division every year for the last 10 years, except last year. And so he walks into this season knowing that his team has gotten better, not worse. Usually teams will peak and then they, they tower off, but his team has gotten better. And so he walked into the season knowing, I have a great team. We're talented. We're confident. We're going to go out and win this thing. And so, and sure enough, during the season, they won the most games. They, were, they dominated everybody. And when you watched them play, there was this joy, there was this looseness that they played with, this, this excitement. And when you watched them, you were excited. They drew a lot of crowds, and it was fun to watch them win and fun to watch them play with the zeal and confidence that they had. 
because they knew that they are good. Um, this team, unfortunately, lost in the playoffs and didn't make the World Series. And it's not a knock on the team, but it's a reminder of the reasons that they were boasting. And so when I think about this boastfulness of heart that we have because of the future hope of glory, it's like this baseball team, except this boasting that we have is for sure and it's guaranteed. But when we have this heart of rejoicing and boasting for our future, we walk with the lightness of foot. We have a joy. There's something about us that's different from the world because the world is hopeless. And so there's an attractiveness that draws people to us who eventually we draw them to Christ. So this boastfulness is like what we talked about a few weeks ago with salt and light. This boastfulness and rejoicing of the hope that we have is, is very much being a salt and light in, this, in the world. And so what reasons or what reason do we have to boast or rejoice? And it simply is because God is faithful. That's it. God is faithful and we can trust him. Therefore, we can boast. So Isaiah 9, 6 through 7, this is the classic passage where we, we celebrate the birth of our Savior. But I want, to, I want us to pick up some of these points of faithfulness in this passage. And, and this is Isaiah. He's speaking hundreds of years before Jesus was born, prophesying what it would look like. And it says, for, us, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts, catch this church, will do this. And so we see the first advent of Christ coming as a baby, coming here for a purpose to die on the cross for our sins and rise again and ascend. And then we see his second coming where he comes back and he, he reigns as king and he makes things right. So God fulfilled his promise of the first, the first advent. We have every reason to believe he'll fulfill his promise for the second. Therefore, we can hope in our faithful God. And so what are some of the promises that we have to look forward to? So we know that we can boast because God is faithful, but what are we boasting about? What, what, what do we have to look forward to? And here's three, three promises that we have to look forward to. One is the promise of restoration. Romans 8, 20 through 21. But the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. And if we haven't noticed, our world is under bondage and in corruption. The last two years, we've, saw, we've seen it increase. And so there's hope that everything will be restored. This creation will be as it intended without sin. And we get to be a part of that a restored people and a restored creation. And I don't know about you, I'm ready for that. As we watch this world, we want to look forward to restoration. The second is our resurrection. Romans 8, 11. 
If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, and if you are believing in Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. And so just as Jesus was raised from the dead, we, our mortal bodies, we will be raised with him to be with him in all eternity. It's a promise of our resurrection with Christ. And it's a promise of inheritance. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Two, an inheritance, listen to this church, that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Everything that we hope for outside of this hope in Christ is perishable, defiled, and fading. But this inheritance is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. And those three, we can look forward to the promise of the hope of being in the presence of God where we will enjoy these. And so as we think about the fact that hope sustains us when we boast about our future, when we have a heart that rejoices about our future, I want to ask you, how often do you think about eternity? If you asked me that question years ago, I'd probably be saying not very often because it scared me. Um, we get so wound up in, in the present and the things that we are working through and struggling that rarely maybe often, do we often think about eternity, but we want to build a habit of thinking about eternity. That's how we develop a heart that boasts about our future. One way that we can do that is uh, Pastor Andy, every sermon series, gives us a bookmark and walks through passages that we can read every day of the week to remind us of the, the sermon, to remind us of God's goodness, in particular this, this season as we remember who Christ is and, and the benefits that we have because of Christ. It helps us put our focus back on our hope of eternity. I encourage you to read that together as a family. Spend time in God's word. And so we have a great hope before us, but then the question comes up, well, then how do we hope when we're suffering? Hope sustains us because God is faithful and he has made promises so we can trust him. And hope can sustain us when we as a church stop fighting God when we are suffering. When we stop doubting his plans and we begin to embrace the suffering he allows in our lives because we see that the suffering has a purpose, it has a reason. God is going to use it to sanctify us. And so we find in Romans 5, 3 through 4, that hope sustains believers when they embrace suffering. So let's go ahead and, and read that. And Paul says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. And that word rejoice is the same as the word above it. It's the same idea of boasting or glorying in, in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. So somehow God uses suffering to build a deeper hope in what we have in the future. And along the way, he helps us endure in this world and he helps build our character. And so here's some facts about suffering that are important for us to remember as Christians. One is that suffering is a normal part of life for a Christian in a sinful world. 
If you were told otherwise when you became a Christian, you were lied to. If Christ suffered, we will also suffer with him. But there's purpose and it's not in vain. So we read in John 16, 33, this is Jesus talking to his disciples. This is right before he's going to be arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane and right before he goes on trial to go on the cross. This is his last kind of conversation with the disciples. And he tells them, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus is victorious over sin and death. He has overcome the world. And so our suffering, we see, is, has a purpose. He tells us that we're going to suffer. Another fact about suffering is that it changes our perspective. Romans 8.18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And so Paul's writing to the Roman church, and he's telling them about suffering. And a guy who knows a thing or two about suffering, don't you think? He gets it. But this idea that it helps us change our perspective, God doesn't promise that he'll change the situation in which we suffer in, but he promises that he will give us hope. And so what we think, and when we think about suffering, I get this idea of us having, I call it this white-knuckle death grip on the world, okay? So we, we, we tend to have a tendency to hope in things of the world, and God uses suffering to be able to pry our fingers away from that death grip. So it's almost like, Chris, hey, let me peel that finger off, buddy, right? Let me peel this finger off. He's trying to peel those fingers away so that we can embrace him. We can't embrace him with clenched fists. We need open hands. And he promises that when we're suffering, he's going to comfort us. 2 Thessalonians 2, 16 through 17. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, Comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. God wants to comfort us in the midst of suffering. And so when we embrace the suffering that God allows in our life, is when we allow hope to sustain us in this hopeless world. And so I want us to have some reminders about suffering. One is, if, we, if these are true about suffering, then we need to remember that if we're suffering, then that means that God is at work refining us. God is in the business of sanctification, making us more like Jesus. And we see in this passage that he uses that to help us build that character and to refine us. So if you're suffering, God's at work. If you're suffering, that means that God is faithful. That means that God is with you and that he has a purpose. It's not in vain. And I think our hearts naturally want to go the other way. When we're suffering, we think that God's neglected us or he's left us or he doesn't love us or we've done something that he's going to walk away from us. But God is faithful and he doesn't do that. The results of this hope that we exude, even in the midst of suffering, it has a result of it draws other people to us. The unbelieving, hopeless world is going to look at us and think we're crazy and want to know why we can have joy in the midst of suffering. And it gives hope to those who are hopeless. So again, it's God uses us as salt and light, even in the midst of suffering when we have hope, to point people to him, the one who is our hope. 
And so it makes me think about how do you view suffering? Is suffering a way for you to check a box and say, yep, I knew it. God doesn't love me. Yep. God hates me. God wants to see me squirm and wants to punish me. I've been there. I've thought those things before. But what we see is it's the exact opposite. And so take some time this season to evaluate your view of suffering and evaluate it against Scripture. What does Scripture say about my suffering? The next thing that I'm encouraging you to do is what I call a burden book. Um, For us ladies, we might call that a journal. For us dudes, it's a burden book or a notebook, whatever you want to call it. Um, But there's been seasons in my life where uh, I remember one particular season, this was 2005 into 2006, where I was depressed, I was struggling, didn't know what God wanted me to, I didn't know what God wanted me to do in my life, and uh, my grandfather was struggling with cancer, and I was in a really bad relationship, and I graduated school and had no clue what I wanted to do with the rest of my life, so me, who's an analyzer and overthinks everything, I just kind of went into this pit of despair. And there were days I would wake up and I'm like, God, I don't know why you woke me up, but you woke me up for some reason and I don't know what it is. But it was in those seasons that I would write down those feelings of hopelessness and it would take me back to God's word and say, well, I know that's not true. What does God's word say? And it would take me back to truth and to God's love. So I encourage you, write it down. Get it out of your mind and onto paper. Give it the perspective that it deserves. And so when we think about even that idea, uh, we realize that, um, that sometimes when we are suffering, that there's, there's a tendency for us to feel this potential disappointment or question God's faithfulness. And that's exactly what we're going to address in, in verse 5. And we find that The third thing that hope does, it sustains believers when they fixate on the love of the faithful God. And it is God's love and fixating on his love that reminds us that we have no reason to be ashamed of this hope that we have. There's no, we have no reason to be disappointed because it's going to happen. But we have to remind ourselves of this constantly because our heart's going to tell us otherwise and the world is going to tell us otherwise. So Romans 5.5 gives us the way that we can guard and shield ourselves from this potential shame. Verse five, and hope does not put us to shame. Why? Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. When we think about this idea of shame, it's idea of of humiliation or what if this doesn't happen and I'm gonna be humiliated in front of other people or I'm in the midst of suffering and people are gonna question God's faithfulness because of my suffering. We don't have to worry about any of that. The shame can come from other people who don't understand the hope that we have, and it can come from within. And what we find in this passage, what it's really trying to communicate is that it's God's love, it's the knowledge of God's love that the Holy Spirit continually reminds us of that shields us from this shame. And we get this idea of it We need to set our minds continually on the love of God and the Holy Spirit is there to remind us and to show us constantly to remind us of the reasons we have hope. And so when I think about setting our minds, it reminds me of, uh, I was in college, maybe like the last year of high school into college. um, My dad had ridden dirt bikes most of his life, but for some reason that, that season he wanted to ride again and 
Um, he didn't want me riding dirt bikes growing up because he wanted me to play soccer and baseball and didn't want me to get hurt, and, which I was thankful for. Um, so all of a sudden, it was like, hey, Chris, you're getting ready to graduate. Let's start. Let's go riding again, or let's go riding because I hadn't really been before. And so my dad's a great rider. I'm not. I spend more time on the ground than I do on the bike. Um, but there's one particular time where we're on the east side of Lake Isabella, uh, getting ready. We're going to climb over these mountains to drop into the desert and go riding out in the desert. And, and it's kind of like ravines. So you're riding in these little valleys, and there's a lot of rocks and things. And he said, Chris, he said, you see a rock? Don't look at the rock, because you'll hit the rock. So look around the rock, and you'll go around the rock, right? And I'm like, that's kind of weird advice, you know? So we get going, and sure enough, there's a rock, and I look at the rock, and I hit the rock, and I fall. This happens three or four times, and then I finally wisen up, like, oh, maybe my dad was probably right about this. And so I look at the path around the rock, and sure enough, the bike just kind of went with it. Um, So this idea of not looking at the rock or staring at the suffering or staring at the things that might trip us up is the same idea as setting our minds on the love of God and shielding us from the shame. We find in 1 Corinthians 1.18, the world isn't going to understand this hope that we have. It says, the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The world will not understand this hope that we have. And so we need to be prepared for that. And we set our minds on the love that, of the potential shame that might come because the world is going to question us and ridicule us for that. First Peter 3.15, we see that uh, Peter is, is saying that, but in, our heart, in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you what? For a reason, for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. And so because of our hearts that may bring shame and because the world that might ridicule us, we have to be ready to defend the hope that we have. And we defend the hope that we have through God's word. And so it's the Holy Spirit's reminder of God's word and the truth of God's love that sustains us in hope. And so some things about hope sustaining us is we need to remember that we must set our minds on the love of God. Those are active things that we are called to do. This is not passive. If we're expecting to sit around and wait for it to happen, it's not. We need to set our minds. We have to actively remind and go back to God's word and let the Holy Spirit do the work of pouring that refreshing reminder of his love in our hearts. 1 Timothy 4.10, For to this end we toil and strive, Because we have our hope set on the living God, striving and toiling to set this hope on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. 1 Peter 1.13, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope active. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's a way that we can be reminded and fixate on the love of God. And one is, is that we set our minds on the love of God. The second is that we need to start taking offensive, the offensive with our thought life. 2 Corinthians 10.5. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive 
to obey Christ. When our heart wants to ridicule us, when our heart wants to doubt the faithfulness of God or question his purpose in suffering, we quicken that, we catch it, and we take it back to God's word. We take every thought captive. And the third thing that I want to encourage you is to read the Bible. I encourage you to read the whole thing this next year. If we're a seasoned Christian and we haven't read the Bible, we need to do so. As I said, God's hope, as I use the word littered, but it is all over Scripture. Even preparing for this sermon and thinking about passages, it's like, well, where do you start? Hope's everywhere, right? But we won't know it unless we read it. I encourage you to read it through the entire Bible this year. And uh, this year, my family, we, we decided to do that. And it wasn't, I, I wish I could take credit for it and say like, yep, I led my family and we're going to read the Bible. It was my kids. Uh, they came to us and said, Chris, Dad, we want to we read through the Bible this year. Okay, that's awesome. So we found a reading plan and we've stuck to it. And it's been an amazing blessing in our home. And, um, and it's been great to see kind of the transformation of our minds and how we, how we view the world and watching my daughter, Samantha, who's like me, who's naturally anxious and worries and seeing her start to like get what it means to trust God and that God is faithful and to let go of the anxiety and the fears that she has. That's been fun to watch, but that's because God's word is alive and active and we need to be in it. Reminded of his love continually. And so it's because of the faithfulness of God, we can have a heart that boasts about what is waiting for us in the future. We can boast, we can be overjoyed about our future because God is faithful. Because of the faithfulness of God, we can embrace suffering because God knows what he's doing. And he's in the business of sanctifying us. He's in the business of making us more like his son. And one of the ways he does that is through suffering. No longer do we need to question what he's doing and if it's in vain. It is for a purpose. Because of the faithfulness of God, we can stand confidently knowing that our hope is guaranteed and we can trust that God loves us. It is the ever-increasing knowledge of God's love for us that shields us from cowering down because of shame and humiliation that comes from hoping in something the world or even our flesh does not understand. It's because of the faithfulness of God that we have hope. And so, church, if, if today you are struggling, if you're suffering, be reminded that God loves you. Be reminded that it's not in vain and purposeless. Be reminded of the great hope we have and, the, and allowing God to give you a perspective of our future hope. Church, if we know someone else who is suffering or struggling in the body, come alongside them and remind them and point them back to the hope that they have in Christ, through Christ. The hope that we have in this faithful God. We're here as a body to help encourage each other and point each other back to this hope that we have. Reach out to each other. Reach out to the church. Do not walk through this season with an overwhelming sense of hopelessness and doing it by yourself. Let the church walk alongside you. So I'm reminded of Hebrews 10, 23 through 25, and I know we quote this verse a lot, but it's always a good reminder. 
Let's hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. We stand in the grace that God has given us without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. God is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Jesus will return. God will restore. He will make all things right. We will be with him for all eternity where there's no pain or sorrow, no more tears, no more death, no more heartache of losing a loved one, no more relationships that aren't reconciled. He will make it all right. And that is the hope that we look forward to. We look back to the work of Jesus Christ to establish our faith, and we look forward to the hope that God will make all things right in the future. And we have to continually remind each other of that because everything in us wants to believe otherwise. And the world screams hopelessness. But we have this great hope through Christ. So let me pray, and we'll worship. Father, thank you for this great hope. Thank you that it's because you are a faithful God that we can trust you. You are worthy to be trusted. Thank you that you delight in demonstrating your faithfulness to us because that's who you are. You are a faithful God. You can't make a promise that you can't keep. You delight in keeping your promises. Thank you for the great hope that we have in the midst of this hopeless world. I pray that this season and, and during our life that we would recognize this hope and that we would cling to this hope that we have in the future. God, that it would sustain us, Lord, and that you would use us to be vessels to demonstrate hope to this hopeless world. God, we as a church would come alongside each other and point each other back to you where we have hope. So Lord, we love you and we thank you and we are so grateful that we are loved by a faithful God. Let us continually remember your great love for us through Jesus. God, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.